children are dismissed at this time as well. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you today. We continue today through our journey in the book of Exodus. And I've been thinking a lot uh, this week about building. It's interesting uh, what God is doing. You know, we've been talking a lot about how in some ways we can relate to the people of Israel because this space that we journey in today in many ways is like a wilderness, like an exile. And so what kind of work is God doing while we're in this space together here for the time that we have on earth? And one of the things I think that God is doing, I know God is doing because he said that he would do it, is building his church. And I want to take a moment today before we dive into the text and just offer a word of gratitude and a word of thanks to the many countless volunteers that it takes here at CNBC, that God has drawn here to CNBC to make the ministries of CNBC work. And I want to give them a round of applause. For me, whether you're on the worship team, whether you're in our student ministry, whether you're in our children's ministry, whether you're on uh, technology teams or community teams, or you're coaching a Bible quizzing team, or whatever it might be, or you're participating, all of it is evidence that Jesus is doing exactly what Jesus said he would be doing. I will build my church. And so today, I'm thankful for our volunteers. I'm thankful for the work that you do, the time that you sacrifice. I know that that time costs something. And I know that you do it because you love Jesus and you see the opportunities before you to invest in his kingdom and build into the lives of the next generation. And so thank you for all that you do and for the time that you sacrifice uh, and commit to our families and children and to the Lord here at CNBC. The church is one of the primary ways that we can see what God is doing in the world today. There's another way as well. This week, uh, my wife and I celebrated 20 years of marriage. Yeah, fun. Thank you. That's the Lord. That is the Lord. And I can tell you that. Um, and many in here who have been married for many years will tell you that that is the work of the Lord. And you can see up there 20 magnificent years at 7,300 days, 175,200 hours, 20,512,000 minutes. I won't continue, but at the end there, seven children and zero headaches. But not really. There's been a few headaches and a few bumps along the way. But you can see some highlights there on the other side. And yes, that picture was taken just a few weeks ago. Uh, my wife and I had the privilege of attending uh, a wedding in our family. It's uh, someone that was in my wife's side of the family was married. And we got to go down. And it was a 
uh, black suit and tie and evening gown only wedding. We have never been to anything like that. Um, we really don't know how to live among that class of people. So it was, uh, it was quite the uh, experience for us, harrowing at times. I thought, my goodness, if I had to dress like this every day, I don't know what would happen. But <laughs> God is at work. He's at work in the world today in many marvelous ways. He's building churches. He's building families. We are knit and woven together as people by God. He tethers us to communities and to the truth, and he motivates us by love to strengthen, equip, and build one another up for his glory. And that, it's hard work some days, yeah, but I think at the end of our life, when we look back, it's so satisfying to be able to recognize and see that God is faithful to do exactly what he said he would. And so we're entering the home stretch of the book of Exodus. And we only have two studies left today and next Sunday. Today we turn our portion, our attention to a portion of the book of Exodus that deals uh, with the development and the construction of the tabernacle. And we want to kind of wrap around three questions this morning as we explore the text together. First, how does the building of the tabernacle contribute to the restoration and renewal of the nation? Remember in chapter 32 that the nation of Israel had just fallen into sin, the sin of idolatry. This is part of God's restorative work amongst his people. Why a tabernacle? How is a tabernacle going to contribute to God's work of restoration? Then secondly, for the followers of Jesus and for followers of Jesus today, what does participation in God's right-making work in the world look like today? God is setting things right. He will ultimately set things right, and he has set things right in Christ Jesus. How do we get to participate in that work today? And then finally, what qualities might characterize a community or an individual who is or are regularly rehearsing and practicing the abiding presence of God in our lives. We're going to be in a rather large portion of the text today. We're looking at Exodus chapters 35 to 39. If you have your Bibles, you want to take and turn them to Exodus 35 uh, right now. I'll give you a moment to turn there and then we'll pray and we'll ask God to guide our time of study together this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness. Thank you for Jesus, that we can trust him, that we can look to him and believe that when he said he was going to build his church, he meant it, and that he continues to do it today. He does the work, Lord. He is in the work but God, we acknowledge today that he uses his people, too. And we are so thankful. We are your vessels, Lord. We want to be useful. We're ready. We're ready to be used by you. And we recognize today, Father, that sometimes that means we have to journey through very difficult spaces together. The people of the book of Exodus, they were journeying together through difficult spaces. And some days, Lord, that is the portion that you've marked out for us. 
And other days, Lord, you take us way up on the mountaintops and the peaks of joy and happiness. And those are good times as well. And all along the way, what we learn in this book over and over again, what we see is that you are with us. You don't leave us. You don't abandon us. You don't forsake us. Even when we struggle and stumble and fall. And Lord, in a world that is filled with so much uncertainty today and so much difficulty, this is truth that we need. We need it week in, week out, moment by moment. To know that you are with us. That you're right here. That we can trust you because you are good. And so we turn to your text today and pray that you would use it to help form us into the image of your son, Jesus. Help us to live and love in a way that honors and glorifies you and builds up those that you've placed in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 35. We're going to begin in verse 4, looking at verses 4 to 10. Of Exodus 35 today. Moses spoke to the whole community of the Israelites. This is the word that the Lord has commanded. Take an offering for the Lord. Let everyone who has a willing heart bring an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, Fine leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant in incense, onyx stones and other gems for mounting on the ephod and the breastpiece. Every skilled person among you is to come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Now God has used Moses in these days, in these moments following the idolatry of the nation to effectively draw together the Israelite community. They are present, again, at the foot of Sinai. There has been the activities, we've seen intercession, we've seen confession, we've seen habits and attitudes of repentance. There's been a true humbling of the people. Restoration is taking place within this community. And as, as one of his final acts of restoration here in chapters 35 to 39, God will set among the people a place where a special measure of his presence is going to come to dwell among them. We call this place the tabernacle. Later it is the temple. Today it is the church. Corporate and those individuals who are a part of it. To begin, there is an offering that's going to be taken, but only by those who had a willing heart to bring it. God is not forcing the participation of the community. And those who are going to have a willing heart, who are going to bring an offering, they are going to find, and we are going to find as we explore this text both now and later, that there is a cost to discipleship. What we have in our text in chapters 35 to 39 is the image of a community living into their restoration as one nation under God. 
And in his act of restoration, God has desired to restore his people by working around, in, and through them to create this special place where the significant measure of his presence or his glory is dwelling. And when we identify and we practice the presence of God in our lives, both personal and corporate, our lives are immeasurably changed and wholly transformed. God's tabernacle contributes to the restoration and the healing of the nation by serving as a constant reminder to us, to them, that God is faithful. While wandering around in the wilderness, the people could regularly see in the tabernacle and rehearse together. We are known by God. He is with us. We belong to him. He will preserve and protect us. Come what may. God cares for me. Isn't that significant truth for today? In the wilderness that we walk even now. Verses 20 to 22, we're going to press further into this reality. There is a type of transaction that's taking place. The community is going to be drawn out of or come out from the presence of Moses to develop and to create a new space where they can go within to be in the presence of God. Take a look at verses 20 to 22. So the whole community of the Israelites went out from the presence of Moses. Everyone whose heart stirred him to action and everyone whose spirit was willing came and brought the offering for the Lord, for the work of the tent of meeting, for all of its service and for the holy garments. They came, men and women alike, all who had willing hearts. They brought brooches, earrings, rings, ornaments of all kinds of gold jewelry, and everyone came who waved a wave offering of gold to the Lord. Now, there's a contrast here to what we saw in chapter 32. There we watched willing hearts bringing gold and fine jewelry in order to create their own representation of God, their own idol. And here, willing hearts, once again, as they are being restored, they come and they're bringing gold and jewelry offerings. This time, however, they're waving it unto the Lord. Sometimes in the, in the scriptures, this is called an Omar or Omer offering, a waving offering. Have you ever been in a church that still does Waving offerings. Anybody been to a church? like I was at a church one time like that when they actually put buckets in the front of the church for the offering time and they play very beautiful music and they sing and they make their offering time a time of worship and people come as they are led from their pews. They come down to the front waving their offering and they drop it in the bucket. You laugh. That happens still. In some places today, it's it's kind of amazing. It was actually very moving, uh, something I had never experienced before when I experienced it. Now, when they came back and did it again later in the service, I thought, hmm, <laughs> it happened twice. These people must really love to dance and wave their offerings around. 
<laughs> Here we have significant portions of the Israelite community, women and men. They're captivated by this mission and vision. They're participating together to bring glory and honor to God. Their mission, their vision right now in this moment was to develop design and to create this space where a special presence of God's glory could come to be among the people. Participation in the designs and work of God, it requires sacrifice. We talked about that earlier. Time, an investment, offering, movement, action on behalf of the people. Compelled by their forgiveness and the reconciliation that they were working through. They are dwelling and acting together as a grateful people. And could this be an image for the church, the Christian community today? Aligned with the mission and vision of Jesus' life and words. Compelled by Jesus' forgiveness and the reconciliation that he's brought between us and God we live and we move together as a grateful people. That's how it should be, anyway. Sometimes maybe we don't always practice gratitude. And while the people are actively worshiping, God has been faithful to specially within their community gift certain people from among them to do specific work related to the building up of the tabernacle. It's incredible to me how God, this is the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New, he does not change. He's still doing this in his church today. He specifically gifts some people for certain parts of ministry. Now, if I were to come in here on a Sunday morning and you were to say, Pastor Chris, we really today need you to make sure that the sound and the video and all the technology in the back is working just as it should be so that we can do everything we need to do today. Guys, we'd be sitting here in the dark. And I'd be up here yelling without a microphone. There'd be no live stream for the people who aren't able to be with us in person. None of those things. I have no clue. But God has gifted some Special people within our community that gifts of technology and they're able to use them to make it so that in Sunday morning I stand up here and talk and not only can everybody in this room hear me, but people who are hundreds of miles away can somehow hear too. It's really, really incredible. And God's gifting people then, he's gifting people today in special ways to hear Specifically, one from the tribe of Judah, the other from the tribe of, Jan of Dan. Not only uh, are they going to design and construct the temple or the tabernacle, and this is really important, they are also going to be motivated by God to train and teach others who would assist them in the preparation and construction of it. Take a look at verses 30 to 35 of chapter 35. Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. He has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with understanding, with knowledge, and in all kinds of work, to design artistic designs, to work in gold, in silver, and in bronze, 
and in cutting stones for their setting and in cutting wood to do work in every artistic craft. And he has put in his heart to teach he and Aholiab, son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, as designers, as embroiderers in blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and as weavers. They are craftsmen in all work and artistic designers. It's amazing. You know, people sometimes question, does God really prepare uh, people who work in the trades? Exodus 35. Yes, he does. And are their gifts really useful? People who have gifts in the trades, electricians, plumbers, people who work in construction and engineering, are they really useful to the body? Exodus chapter 35. Yes. Absolutely needed. I can tell you, if you ask me to fix a pipe in the church, get ready. We're going to be swimming next week in this room. <laughs> it wouldn't be much fun. And in all that we're reading together today, here in chapter 35 and on, there is this synergy. It's not, it's not, there's sometimes we get into this tit for tat over is it God or is it humanity? Which one is it? It, God doesn't need us, but by his love and his grace and his mercy, he chooses to use us and work through us. And so you see throughout the scriptures, the synergy, God and his creation working in unison because it is a real relationship with us that God desires. God fills Betzalel with the spirit, with skill, with understanding and knowledge in all kinds of work. But Betzalel would then, as he was gifted, ably perform the work. It's not like God gifted him and then he sat there on his hands and said, okay, God, you gifted me, now you just do it. I'm going to sit here and wait. Why aren't these walls going up? <laughs> no. He had stuff to do. God had given him stuff to do. And God also put it in his heart to teach others. There was no, none of this weird ownership where he was going to keep it all to himself and pretend as if he was the only one. I'm the only one that can do it. Nobody else. He's sharing. He's teaching what he knows to others. There's training and equipping. All of these beautiful things that still happen in the church today. In the text, we're, we're observing Bethlehem and and Oheliad, they're filled with skill, working as craftsmen, designers, embroiderers, designing, preparing, crafting a habitat for God's presence. And when the community is functioning as it should, and we are practicing and training and equipping and preparing one another for effective work, the outcome is always more than we could ever ask or imagine. And, you know, I've come to learn over the years, church, that we don't always get to see the full effect of our work. You know, I think about that with Moses. Moses got to the threshold of the promised land. Oh, how much did this man lay down his life for his people? 
and he never got to go in. And, and sometimes for us here on earth, we invest. We invest, we invest, we train up, we train up our children, we, we, we help train up other people's children. We give our time, we give our energy, and maybe at the end of the day we look back and we wonder, is this effective? What's, I can't quite see. We don't always get to see. What we're asked to do is trust. Trust. And what God's word promises is that his word will never return void. And so we plant, so we sow, so we reap. But who brings the harvest? God. And we don't always get to see the fruit of our labor. But we can trust that what God is doing is more than we could ever ask or imagine. Now watch what's going on. Flip over to chapter 36, verse 2. Moses summoned Bethlehem and Oheliab and every skilled person in whom the Lord had put skill. Everyone whose heart stirred him to volunteer to do the work they received from Moses. All of the offerings the Israelites had brought to do the work for the service of the sanctuary. And they still continued to bring him a free will offering each morning. So all the skilled people who were doing all of the work on the sanctuary came from the work they were doing and told Moses, imagine saying this. Verse 5. The people are bringing much more than what is needed. Wouldn't that be a great problem to have? For the completion of the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. Moses instructed them to take his message throughout the camp saying, Let no man or woman do any more work for the offering for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing any more. Now the materials were more than enough for them to do all the work. Imagine one Sunday if I got up here and said, All right guys. We took away the boxes in the back. We're not collecting any more offerings. Everything we have, we need right now to do the work. Amazing. I mean, this is incredible what God has done in the community. How he's prepared and equipped and empowered people to bring so that there was way more than what was needed. The hearts had been stirred. The provision was there. The work was being done. Because the Lord was leading and blessing the work. And because of that, there was more than enough. More than enough resources. More than enough volunteers. You know, sometimes we, we get in this habit of living uh, like, like there's going to be lack in the economy of God. Like somehow there's not going to be enough. And we have to do everything we can to just preserve and pinch every penny and stretch it as far as we can because there just might not be enough. When again, over and over and over and over again, overwhelmingly in God's word, is that in the economy of God, if you're being faithful as a good steward, he will provide. There's not going to be lack. 
there's always going to be enough. Abundant provision for everything we need. Is that scary? It's scary. It is. Does it take faith to live like that? I think it does. Yeah, experienced it in my own life. But there will always be enough in the Lord. And so we see the development in the text, and we're going to have to move quickly through some of the details which we covered in chapters 25. Again, takes us from the inside of the tabernacle in chapters 36, verse 8, through chapters 37, 29. You see the tabernacle, you see the development of the ark. All of these have a corresponding text to earlier in the book of Exodus. You see the table the lampstand, the altar, and the oil and incense. And so again, just as chapters 25 through 30 move, this portion of the text is moving as well. There's a pattern for the work from inside, starting with the inner sanctuary, moving to the outside. And when we get to the outside in chapters 38 verses 1 to 20, we see the development of the courtyard, the common spaces where you would have the brazen altar, the labor for washing, and the general provisions for the courtyard. And going from the tabernacle in chapters 36 to 37 and moving outside, this is the space where the people would come and worship in community. And the narrative is very busy from chapters 35 to chapters 37, verse 20. But then it slows down as we pause to consider the sheer weight or the cost of the work that was being done. Yes, God was providing. Absolutely, God had provided more than enough for what was needed. But there was still a cost for the work that was being done. There is still an accounting. So flip over to chapter 38. And let's take a look, starting in verse 31. This is where the narrative slows down and we begin to look at what the cost was to the community in this work. Starting in verse 21 of chapter 38, this is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, which was counted by the order of Moses being the work of the Levites under the direction of Ethamar, son of Aaron the priest. Now Bezalel son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made everything that the Lord had commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, an artesian, a designer, and an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen. There is a numbering here taking place of the tabernacle, an inventory. And later, if you if you know the Torah, there's a book in the Torah called Numbers. It's a numbering of the people in the book of Numbers. And later in the New Testament, if we continue, Jesus himself talks about counting the cost or taking an account before following him. Luke 14. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't sit down first and compute the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? 
In the same way, therefore, not one of you can be my disciple if he does not renounce all of his possessions. Again, the text in Exodus here in Numbers and Jesus' words in the gospel remind us that discipleship, following in the ways of God as revealed in Jesus, it will cost us our lives. Romans 12, offer your lives as a living sacrifice. We pour ourselves out on the altar. It's a broken and poured out fragrant offering, a living sacrifice. Love compels us, the love of Jesus. The Spirit convicts us. Jesus himself is motivating and moving our actions. We do it all with his strength. His fuel propels the engines of our efforts so that the entirety of our lives are aimed at worshiping and glorifying the Lord as we are formed by his Spirit in the image of Jesus Christ. Now, there are many items that are described in chapter 38. They are symbolic of the contribution and the cost of being in covenant partnership with the one true living God, having the promise and persistence of his presence around, in, and through us. Now, what I was able to do this week is I was able to go in and pull out the weights, the shekels, and I was able to convert them into pounds and come up with a general estimate of in today's dollars, about how much money would the tabernacle have cost? All right, any guesses? I'll give you a second to put a number in your mind. Okay, I'm going to put the number up on the screen. What we know is we know that there was one ton of gold, approximately one ton of gold required to do the work. Four tons of silver and two and a half tons of bronze. So by today's standard, approximately 63. million dollars of gold, 2.9 million of silver, and a little over 10,000 dollars of bronze, roughly 65 million dollars in today's money for the whole project. Some of us would say, was it worth it? <laughs> Every penny was worth it. Every penny. Every second of our lives poured out for the glory of God and the good of one another is worth it. God wastes nothing. He wastes nothing. There is no waste with him. We look at that number and we think, exuberant. There's no waste. He uses it. His children living out of the abundance of the riches that he gives. They're building him a tabernacle, trusting that this is going to be a space that he is going to inhabit, a space that will be able to go with them as they move through the wilderness. In God, friends, there is abundant life, abundant grace, abundant mercy, compassion, love, peace, comfort, and rest. And we return it by living into it through the way that we love others, shining and having effect in this world as we worship the God who is continually abiding with us. 
So this work was costly. When I looked at that number and I thought that the people in just a few chapters before had brought all of their gold. You remember? They had brought everything to Aaron and he dumped it in a, in a fire and poof, out came a golden calf. Remember that? And, and you would think, well, they brought all their valuable stuff to make these idols. Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently there was a lot of other valuable stuff still in the community. But this is in the text to show us that the people were willing to lay down their lives for this. It was worth it to them. So the work continues from inside to outside to even what were going to be what was going to be on the people who were serving in the tabernacle in chapters 39 verses 1 to 31 we see this image of holiness there's the clothing they would wear the ephod the breastpiece or breastplate the robe and i want to look at verses 27 to 31 verses 27 to 31 of chapter 39 They made tunics of fine linen, the work of a weaver for Aaron and for his sons, and the turban of fine linen, the headbands of the fine linen, and the undergarments of fine twisted linen. The sash was of fine twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, the work of an embroiderer, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made a plate, the holy diadem of pure gold, And wrote on it an inscription as on the engravings of a seal. Holiness to the Lord. They attached it to a blue cord to attach it to the turban above. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses. The designs are coming together. The craftsmen have been faithful to follow precisely the instructions that the Lord had given to Moses. And there's this theme that emerges in this part of the text using repetition. You're going to see it. If you look in chapter 39, I think it's verse 1, 5, 7, 21, 26, 29, 31. Just as the Lord had commanded. It serves as a reminder to us that we are most effective and most efficient in our life and ministry when we are walking in the ways of the Lord. Then, the priest would become the most clear and visible facilitators of ministry. The accessories that they would wear would serve to remind them and the rest of the Israelite community that they were set apart for the Lord. And there's this theme of holiness, and it's going to be a thread that the writers of both the Old and the New Testament would continue to pull on. We can see it in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. Speak to the whole congregation of the Israelites and tell them, You must be holy because I, the Lord God, am holy. And again, 1 Peter quotes from it as well. Church, friends, we are to live according to our calling. And one of the ways that we have been called is that we have been called to be holy. To be set apart in Jesus. Jesus declares us righteous. He makes us holy before the Lord. Our daily lives, our thoughts, our words, our conduct, they're all to reflect to the world 
the reality of who we are in Christ. Just like with any good project here, there's going to have to be an inspection. Any of you, when I was a child, I had to endure inspections. Sometimes my mom would inspect the way I was dressed before church. I would put my clothes on, and, uh, and she would say no. And I'd say, what's wrong? There's a grass stain on your pants. Go put another pair of pants on. So I'd go back into my room. I'd pull another pair of pants on. I'd come out. She'd say no. And I'd say, why? There's a grass stain on your pants. Go back and put it. It didn't matter how many pants I put on. There was going to be a grass stain on them. That's how that went. Every once in a while, I'd have to clean up my room, my whole room, top to bottom, and I wasn't allowed to come out of my room until it passed the final inspection. And living with a type A mother, let me tell you, that was hard, difficult to pass that inspection. Moses is going to inspect the work that the people had done. Now, the text has told us that they did it exactly as the Lord had commanded, but it needs to pass Moses' inspection. And it's interesting, in chapter 39, verse 32 and 42, again, are going to remind us that the people did the work according to all that the Lord had commanded. This portion of the narrative is bookended by those phrases. So let's start in verse 32 and let's read about Moses' inspection of this work. Chapter 39, verse 32. So all the work of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was completed. And the Israelites did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. They did it exactly so. They brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, claps, frames, bars, posts, vases, the coverings of ram skins dyed red, the covering of fine leather, the protecting curtain, the ark of the testimony, its poles of the atonement lid, the table, all its utensils, the bread of presence, the pure lampstand, its lamps with the lamps set in order, all of its accessories, the oil for the light, the gold altar, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense, the curtain for the entrance to the tent, the bronze altar, and its bronze grating, its poles and its utensils, the large basin with its pedestal, the hangings of the courtyard, <clears throat> understand this was quite the endeavor, its post and its bases, the curtain for the gateway of the courtyard, its ropes and its tent pegs, all of the furnishings for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, the woven garments for serving in the sanctuary, the holy garments for Aaron and the priest, and the garments for his sons to minister as priests. The Israelites did all of the work according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected all of the work, and they had done it just as the Lord had commanded, exactly how he had asked them, and Moses blessed them. And as we near the end of this narrative one that has often taken its readers back into the Genesis account, we may not be surprised to once again in this portion of the text hear echoes and chimes from Genesis, particularly in chapter 1, verse 28, and chapter 1, verse 31. In Genesis, God had created man and woman, in Exodus, the people, as they had been Instructed by God, created the tabernacle. In Genesis, the man and the woman were blessed. In Exodus, Moses blesses 
the tabernacle. In Genesis, all was done exactly how God had intended. In Exodus, all was completed exactly how the Lord had commanded. It feels, as we end this part of the narrative, that we are seeing a restored and renewed community because in many ways, this is a new beginning for a community that has been restored and renewed by God following their sin of idolatry. He's forgiven his people. He's restored them. He's reestablishing a place for a special measure of his presence to exist with them. He knows their name. He is their God. They are his people. This is the character of God that we see. The person in the ministry of Jesus. After his disciples fail him, before he ascends into heaven, he restores them. And he promises to be with us always until the end of the age. God's plan from the beginning of the book of Exodus is to reside with his people. And a people who grasp this and practice this, they can live with, church, we can live with great peace, great comfort, faith, hope, and love when the world around us seems unsteady and uncertain. When all hope seems lost or we're walking through the valleys of the shadow of death, how comforting and how hopeful is it for us to remember that we are not alone. On the days that life is heavy and we feel all by ourselves, perhaps some of us feel so lonely, so far removed from others, we have the power and hope of God's presence. He is God with us. When love seems lost and relationships seem broken beyond repair and life's choices have left us in dire and devastating circumstances, we can know and hold on to the steadfast and merciful love of Jesus who does not abandon or deny us in our moment of need. Instead, what we see, the testimony we see in the book of Exodus is that God remains present, desiring to restore and renew us. Our Father, our Lord, is willing to offer grace and forgiveness in abundance when we turn and humbly confess and repent of our sins. If we're confused today, if we're scared, if we're feeling tossed about by the winds and the waves of this world, if the situation that you're in today seems hopeless, we can hold confidently to the truth that Jesus is working and that he is faithful. The tabernacle didn't work because of all the things and all of the work that the people were doing. That's not why it worked. The tabernacle worked because God was in it. It was a space for God's presence to abide in a special way with his people. An earthly habitat. Today, church, corporately and individually, we are the tabernacle. Jesus is the architect, the master builder. His plans today are to create for himself a place, a people who are built in his image, representing and reflecting his love and goodness as salt and light in the world today. The church 
works today because Jesus inhabits it. That's why it works. He lives within us. His spirit is our portion. It's the fuel that we need for the endurance for these present days. And friends, we get to do this together. We're not doing this alone. We're doing this with the presence of God and the presence of one another, glorifying God and carrying one another's burdens as we wander as one people through our wilderness exile here on earth. Something we started last week, and I want to try to continue as a regular habit in our community, is to stand and recite scripture together at the end of our study time. One reason is uh, because there is so much in this world today that threatens to divide and to polarize the people of God. I believe it's very important that we stand and proclaim together the truths that unite us as one community. And so as our team comes, would you stand as we recite the following scriptures together? Today we'll proclaim together Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Let's say it together. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. The stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love. Exodus 4, 11, or Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Team.